Welcome to the How to Stop Being Broke podcast, where the mission is to change your mindset about how you manage your finances so you can build a financial future that you can be proud of. My name is Bella Jones and I am your host. So relax, sit back, and let's jump into today's conversation. Hey, hey, hey. So we are back for another episode And in today's episode, I want to share the story of George Foreman and the George Foreman Grill. Now you might be saying to yourself, Bella, why do I care about George Foreman and his grill? Great question. So the George Foreman story and his grill is a true testament to how one decision can give you amazing long-term financial benefits. It's a testament to how important it is to think about the long-term impact of the decisions that you are making, especially when it comes to your finances. It's also a true testament to how important it is at times to be willing to give up that instant and immediate gratification so you can harvest some amazing benefits in the long term. Now, I am certain that most of you listening to this podcast are familiar with who George Foreman is, but for those of you who are not familiar with him, he is a former American boxer, two-time world heavyweight champion, as well as an Olympic gold medalist. And outside of boxing, he was a huge celebrity in his time. So you can, of course, Google him as well, but he definitely was a big deal and still is. I am also willing to bet that most of you are very familiar with the George Foreman Grill. It was very popular in the 90s as well as the early 2000s, especially if you are millennial or Gen Xer. I am positive that most of you had a George Foreman Grill at one point in time, whether it was in your college dorm, your first apartment, it was a staple that many people used because it was so easy to use to grill hot food. But in the event there is someone who is listening and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I will put a link in the show notes below so you can see what a George Foreman grill looks like, or at least one version of it. Now just note that the link that I do have down below is an affiliate link to my Amazon store, so just keep that in mind. But again, if you click on it, you'll see what a George Foreman grill looks like. I guess a good place to start with this story is that George Foreman actually did not invent the George Foreman grill. Who knew? I know I didn't until I did research for this story. It was actually invented by a man by the name of Michael Bohm, I'm going to say. The last name is spelled B as in boy, O as in orange, E as in egg, H as in Harry, M as in Mary. Mary. So I'm sure I'm botching his last name, but again, the whole point is George Foreman did not invent the grill. Now, Michael invented the Foreman grill, or it was just the grill, in 1994. He applied for a trademark in 1995, and the final patent was approved in 1997. 
Now, once the grill was fully developed, now the question becomes, how do we market and sell this new product? So the company that owned the rights to sell the Foreman Grill decided that they wanted to hire a celebrity spokesperson to endorse this new product. And this is where George Foreman comes into the story. Now at the time, George Foreman and Hulk Hogan, who was a WWE wrestler, also a huge celebrity at the time, they both had the same attorney slash agent. Now the attorney came to both gentlemen and recommended two products that they each could endorse. Option one was a meatball maker. Option two was a grill. Now Hulk Hogan decided that he wanted to run with the meatball maker. So by default, George Foreman had the grill as his option to become the celebrity spokesperson for. Once George decided to become the celebrity spokesperson for the grill, his next question was, well, how much are they going to pay me for this deal? Unbeknownst to him, the company did not have any money and essentially could not afford to pay him. So of course, as soon as he heard that, he was no longer interested in the deal. His agent then pleaded with him to say, let me have them send you a grill for free, test it out and see how you feel once you've actually had a chance to use the product. So he receives the grill and just puts it away and never actually uses it. Again, because he knows there's no real money in this deal up front, so he really had no interest and wanted no parts of it. A few months goes by and his agent then reaches out to George to see how he likes the product and wanted to get his feedback and reviews on it and to see if he was willing to move forward with the deal. George has to admit to his agent that, you know what, I never actually used it. I received it and I put it away somewhere. And again, I'm really not interested because they can't even pay me. Now it's funny what happens next. It shows you how the universe just aligns things to put things in your favor, if you will. So his wife overheard this conversation and let George know that, hey, I actually have been using the grill and I love it. George was shocked. So long story short, just to fast forward, his wife ends up making him a burger on the grill, shows him how easy it is to use, and he was immediately sold and decided to become the face of this new grill. Now, of course, he's still looking to get paid. And since they were unable to pay him up front, he was able to negotiate an amazing deal where he would receive 40% of the profits of all sales of this grill. And just to give you some context of how much money he was making once they really ramped up the product and got it to market, he was making anywhere from four to $5 million a month in the 90s. And in case you want to know what that would look like in today's value of money, 
And now when I say today, meaning December 2022, at the time that I am recording this episode, $5 million in let's say 1999 is worth $9.1 million in December of 2022. That is how much money he was pulling in by being willing to forego payments up front and was willing to collect profits on the back end. And making this decision, while it was risky, it was a decision that made him hundreds of millions of dollars. And it became a relatively passive income stream for him. Of course, in the beginning, he was doing all of these infomercials and commercials and doing in-person uh, demonstrations. But of course, once the George Foreman Grill became a household name, he himself did not have to be out there marketing and pushing the product. It was essentially, after a point, selling itself. And even though he wasn't doing the quote-unquote work, he was pulling in millions of dollars a month, all because he ended up making a decision where he was willing to forego a payment upfront, but was willing to get paid on the back end, which ended up being a million dollar idea. Now here is where the story gets more interesting. George Foreman made so much money from his partnership with the company that owns the George Foreman Grill, that by 1999, they decided to buy him out of his contract for $138 million. Buying him out of his contract would give them the exclusive right to continue using his name and image to sell the George Foreman line of products. Now, he did have partners in this deal, so he only would get 75% of the 138 million buyout, but again, that doesn't include the money that he already made on this partnership. I have to admit that I have used many George Foreman grills in my day, and I never knew the backstory behind George Foreman and the George Foreman Grill. But when I did my research and learned more about the story, it blew my mind. The decision that he made to opt for profits instead of a lump sum payment was such a strategic move. Now, of course, it's risky because it could have gone the other way he could have foregone the lump sum payments and the product could have been a flop and he could have made little to no money. So of course there's always risk when you're in business or anything that you do in life in general, especially when you're talking about investing. But as you can see, this was an amazing decision and also a decision like this is how you build generational wealth. You're making decisions that are going to not only help you in the long term, but also help your family in the long term. The amount of money he was able to make from this deal, I am sure it has set up him and his family 
to be very well off for the rest of their lives and again, the generations that are yet to come. This story is also a testament to how important it is to have the right people in your circle. When we go back to this story, his wife is really the reason why he opted in to this deal. His wife was able to convince him to at least test it out to see how amazing the product was. And that's also a very important piece when you are looking to build wealth. You cannot build wealth in a silo. You cannot build wealth alone. It's important to have the right friends and family in your circle and acquaintances that you can talk to and have investing conversations with. It's also important to have the right professionals in your circle as well. In this story, it was George Foreman's agent slash attorney who brought this opportunity to the table for him to even entertain it as an option. And for you who are listening to the episode, it could be your attorney, your tax professional, your business coach, your professional coach, your manager, right? All of these people will have a serious impact on how successful or unsuccessful you are going to be. So again, it's really important to focus on that circle that you have around you because that will have a huge influence on the outcome of many parts of your life. Now that you've heard the story of George Foreman, I want you to think about how can you make a George Foreman decision? How can you set yourself up for long-term success, whether it's in your career, in your business, as well as in your wealth building journey? Maybe, for example, if you are someone who works a nine to five, and let's say you're currently in the job market, make sure as you're looking at companies, think about the long-term impact working for this company can have on your career as well as your finances. And let's walk through a quick example together. So let's say company A is paying you $60,000 a year and company B is paying you $75,000 a year. Now, at first glance, working for company B might be the obvious answer because they're paying $15,000 more. But when we look under the surface, there are other things you need to consider besides the $15,000 difference in salary. In this example, company A is paying, yes, $60,000 a year, but they also have a company shutdown for two weeks in the month of December. They're offering you five weeks of vacation time. They also give you a 3% 401k match, and they also give you equity in the company every single year. Company B, on the other hand, does not give you any equity. They do not have a company shutdown, but they do pay a 10% bonus every single year. So that means you would get about $7,500 as a cash bonus, but let's not forget, they are going to tax that at approximately 40%. So now that you have more information available to you, now company A might look like a better option. 
and not because of the salary, because of the other perks that comes with the job that for some it has monetary value, but for others, the value is kind of priceless. For example, having the company shut down for two weeks at the end of December, that's an amazing benefit, especially if you are someone who's never in the past been able to take off time during that time of year, or if you did, you had to use your own personal vacation time to take that time off. You also maybe had to get that time off approved and that could sometimes be a hit or miss. So to now go to a company where that those last two weeks of the year, you're officially off, you don't need permission, and you're not using your personal PTO, to me, that's a priceless benefit. Also, receiving the 401k match, receiving equity in the company, that has monetary value that you are going to receive every single year that you are at that company. So as you start to compare company A to company B, that $15,000 difference in salary should not be the only thing you're taking into consideration. And if you weigh them, or let's say if I weigh them, if this was me making that decision, making $15,000 less to get benefits that are actually to me worth more than $15,000, company A for me would be the better option. I now will have equity in a company and that's stocks that I can maybe pass down to my children in the future. I can use that money in retirement, whatever it is. That's going to be for me a long-term play. So I would be willing to give up that $15,000 difference in salary to receive the other benefits that will help me in the long term. So again, that was a quick example. Of course, there's other ones we can go into, but I don't wanna keep this episode too, too long. But again, think about how you can make, again, a George Foreman decision in your own life. I know we all want immediate gratification. We want our coins, not now, but right now. I get it. But again, there are going to be situations and opportunities presented to you that will require you to give that up, meaning the immediate gratification, so you can truly benefit in the long run and have that ability to harvest the benefit for the long term. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for stopping by. Have an amazing day. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the How to Stop Being Broke podcast. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to future conversations like the one we had today, make sure to subscribe because it is time for you to stop being broke and create a financial future you can be proud of.